You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 126 called The Blended Learning Breakdown Practices, Strategies, and Ed Tech. In this episode, we'll share best practices and models of blended learning and the ed tech tools that enhance your blended classroom. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. So we're back here at the episode 126. It's a couple days past Thanksgiving, which is one of my favorite holidays. I love the food, I love the football, and I love the shenanigans. But uh, this year, we got a little uprooted by the flu. Yeah, that's that's a bummer um, to have that uh, ruined. Did you at least get to eat some food before that hit, or what was that like? So Thursday night is when people started feeling it. Thursday night and Friday morning. So we did. We were able to eat at noon. Um, everyone else in my family got the flu. I felt lethargic for about four days, but um, I was pumping myself full of vitamin C and water and stuff like that. So I didn't get it. Like, I wouldn't even say, I'm not sure if I actually got it. Uh, I might, you know, it still could catch up with me, but I'm knocking on a little wood there. Hoping that uh, it doesn't get me full-fledged, but uh, my three kids and my wife all had it. So uh, they didn't have much of an appetite, so I pretty much ate the whole <laughs> meal. Yeah, that's all right. More food more food for you, I guess, since you didn't get it. But, I mean, yeah, we're here. It's post, post-Thanksgiving. Um, we're, we're both uh, excited to be back at work. A couple pounds heavier after eating all that stuff, but it's uh, like you said, it's a great time. This is always a whirlwind of, uh, of a time at school, the, the sh- very bizarre four weeks in between Thanksgiving and the winter holidays. It's always like this, I don't know, it's like a mix between a mad rush of trying to get everything done in your classes, but also the, the slower pace that comes with the holidays. So uh, I, I always like it. This is one of my favorite times of year. It's just exciting, uh, both in school and out. Uh, speaking of exciting, we've got some good stuff coming up. Uh, it, we're really we're looking forward to the spring, if you can believe it or not. Um, in terms of conferences and what's coming up for Got Tech the podcast, I'll leave the conference talk to you. I want to tease uh, something that we're bringing back this year. We did it last year called the Twelve Days of Ed Tech. So that's actually that's not a springtime thing. This is a, a winter thing. This is a like starting in the next couple weeks thing where each each day uh, over the course of 12 days we'll release a video on our youtube channel uh, featuring different uh let's see tips different tech and uh just general stuff much like we feature in the podcast but just video based with some you know some extra descriptions and much much shorter and this is always we started this i believe for a hundredth episode last year and i can't believe it but we're coming around to an entire other year having passed by and we're we're bringing back the 12 days of ed tech because i know you know for me it was enjoyable to put together and it's uh it's sort of a neat collection to have out there for people so you guys can expect that in the coming weeks yeah it it really is a 
fan favorite, I think. Uh, you know, between our YouTube videos and our little guides that we we push out and things like that, uh, I think it's a lot of good stuff, and it's there for anyone to use and enjoy. Uh, the other thing that Nick kind of teased already are the conferences coming up. We have Pete and C. Uh, we're waiting to see if uh, we get to present at Pete and C, but that's one that we're kind of planning on going to, as well as the other one, which is the NJECC conference, which is March 7th. Uh, we're hoping to do a presentation or two there, but we will wait and see on that one as well. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So today's topic is all about blended learning. We like to revisit this just to see what's new uh, with blended learning or what practices can we better suggest. And I think COVID allowed everybody to get a taste of blended learning because essentially that's what we kind of went to. That was our backbone for blended learning, being able to start the class in one spot, provide support while they work on activities, and then bring it all back. So Nick, why don't you give us a general blended learning definition real quick of what you see blended learning as. Like I said before, this is a blanket statement, so it kind of means a little different uh, and educationally to each person who goes through blended learning. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that's that's what always drew me to blended learning is that, I mean, you can find official definitions out there and, and maybe there is one that has been agreed upon now. But uh, it is, to me, as it sounds, just blending ed tech with the types of teaching that you traditionally do. And that's, for me, that was always the big buy-in is that I never felt super pressured that I had to completely change the way I was doing things. It's just like, hey, here in this lesson, maybe there's a cool way where you can fit in this ed tech tool to support what you're already doing that's really good. And I always try and push that to staff who are getting into blended learning that this doesn't have to take over your life or completely uproot the things that you're already doing. It's just, it's doing as the name suggests. It is blending those things into your classroom. And, you know, this is, it's gaining in popularity. Like you said, COVID helped. I saw some surveys as we were researching for this episode. And prior to COVID, it was only uh, 12% of classrooms were incorporating blended learning strategies. And we'll get into what those are later, but 12%. So that means you know, one out of 10 people are, are as far as teachers go, that's, that's our audience for a show like this. One out of 10 teachers, that's a pretty small group. But now in a post-pandemic world, that has grown to uh, almost 40%. So literally a extremely massive shift in the number of teachers doing this because they were forced to. So that's why we're bringing this episode back today. We've done a few blended learning episodes in the past, but because of that increase, we're focusing on blended learning as, you know, as a, uh, a method, as an approach to teaching. And we're really going to hopefully go through all the details around what it is. So in a traditional classroom, we have to always mention this. It's uh, the teacher up in front of the classroom lecturing to the students. And really, the acquisition of knowledge uh, is from, it's linear, it's from teacher to student, and that's it. And it's a... Uh, it's an acquisition of knowledge rather than a transmission. So 
what students learn is whatever they're able to sponge in. So if the students are sponges, it's whatever they're able to just keep in their sponge. That was blended learning. Or, I'm sorry, that was uh, traditional learning. Blended learning is being able to kind of get multiple stimuli through independent learning and independent research um, through these various practices that we'll talk about today. But let's get into some of the advantages of blended learning. There are several, and these aren't all the advantages, but uh, as I just said, blended learning really allows for students to understand the content in a deeper, meaningful way. It allows them to work with content rather than just listen to auditory uh, you know, gatherings of the content. So the focus shifts from the acquisition of knowledge rather than its transmission. And that's what blended learning is kind of all about. All this obviously leads to the students understanding things better. You know, uh, related to this is they're way more engaged because they're not, at least most of the time, they're not just sitting there listening to a lecture. Uh, they're, they're doing stuff, right? And we'll get into some of the models later that uh, allow for, for this, but because there's more collaboration between students, they get to speak to each other. Uh, and kind of, you know, when one student speaks to another student, research shows all over the place that that leads to a deeper understanding. So you, they get lots more of that stuff besides allowing for things like hands-on and multiple intelligences and different options. And, you know, blended learning just opens the door to all this stuff. So you're going to see student engagement increase dramatically if you start doing some of these blended learning strategies. Yeah, I love the collaboration piece of this. It really allows students to bounce off ideas and reflect on each other's ideas, which will also deepen that learning. But it also gives a student a sense of autonomy. So even if it's a, a group project, they get to sit down, kind of decipher a problem, and then decide what they want to do about it and how they want to go about solving it or what type of project they, do they want to make. How do they want to present? There's a lot of options. And within these options, there's a lot of tech that can get used to enhance what they're presenting or how they're going to present it. So that is another uh, having student autonomy creates an opportunity for more meaningful learning experiences, which will also connect back to that deeper understanding of content because you're going to learn more if you under if you really enjoy what you're doing. I'm going to bring this up as we go throughout the episode, but the student autonomy thing you just mentioned is like my, I think it's my favorite aspect of this and all of the blended learning models will help this in different ways. But I've just noticed with my students, since I've been using this type of teaching in a good way, they need me less and less and less. And when they do need me, it's kind of gets into one of the other huge benefits. It's it's that one-on-one -on -one interaction that is so tough to find in a traditional classroom. But with blended learning, you've, you've got that time now because all the materials, all the resources where students can learn the content are made available in some form online, which they can access, I mean, at a variety of times now. If they're at home, provided they've got some sort of technology to use, which is you know, more and more commonplace where that's available to pretty much all students. They can watch a video of the lesson, they can read an article, all that stuff is there for them all the time so that your time as a teacher is not spent delivering that information. Your time is spent checking on students. 
maybe your time is just spent in the classroom sitting and watching and the kid who needs help sees that you're just kind of there and present and feels comfortable to come up to you and say, hey, how do you answer number three? Uh, a lot of times kids, are, it's as simple as they don't want to bother you because you look so busy, but now you have that free time. So you're going to see the one-on-one -on -one interactions increase uh, dramatically here as well. Yeah, I agree with that. It doesn't have to be one-on-one. -on -one. It could be two or three students as well. And a lot of times these meetings are based on teacher feedback. So students complete something and the teacher wants to say, okay, this is where you are. Uh, do you have any questions about where you need to go? How can I help you? How can I support you? Uh, that type of thing. So definitely those small group, whether it's one to five students, uh, those small interactions mean a lot. And it promotes a logical, meaningful, personalized, small group, individual feedback opportunities. And that's huge in blended learning. And that's huge in any of these where the students are choosing their own path. So feedback is another, or the chance to provide feedback is another great one. But let's, let's go even further. A lot of times in these small group settings, when we're making small groups as teachers, we can strategically prescribe groups. So you can figure out several different ways of doing this. Say you have four students that are leaps and bounds above everyone. Well, you could do one of two things. You can either separate those four kids to be the leaders of four groups, or you could leave all four of those kids together and really push the boundaries of that project, make them expand, challenge them in a different way, provide enrichment opportunities. I'm not saying either one of these two ways is correct, more correct than others, but you have options as the leader of that group to facilitate learning that is more meaningful in your classroom. Yeah, and that's, you know, doing that is one of the ways that you can get at this this other benefit of blended learning, which is letting students work at their own pace. And that's the downfall of the traditional classroom is every single kid, all 24 of them, let's say, are moving at the pace that the teacher is setting, which is fine for a certain group. Uh, there's another group of students that are bored with that because it's too slow, and there's another group of students that are struggling because it's too fast. And that's just the nature of it, and that's how school was for decades and decades and decades. But with blended learning, you have some wiggle room there where you can let the kids who need more time get that time, and you can provide additional opportunities for the students that, that are a little bit more advanced or are more interested in what you're talking about. One of the struggles we, we see with this, and I get this question a lot from staff who are looking to start blended learning is, well, you know, how do you wrap up this whole thing? If every kid is at their own pace, those four um, students that are working faster, how do you bring them to the same endpoint as the students who are working slower? There's lots of answers to that. We could do a whole podcast just on that. But one answer is you don't have to bring them to the same endpoint. Uh, they can be at different endpoints as long as they've showed some progress, some learning. However, in real life, you're going to need to bring kids close to some common endpoint. And a good way to do it is these prescribed groups. Take those faster moving students, slow them down by putting them in the same group as the slower moving students who need extra support. And that helps bring that whole spectrum of student learning to a more common place because of the way that you've arranged those groups together. So 
you know, one of the coolest parts about blended learning is if you didn't catch on as we were going through that list of advantages, even the advantages of blended learning all blend together and they start supporting each other and allowing all of these things to grow like exponentially as, as you do them. So if you're putting together prescribed groups, that helps students work at their own pace better. Uh, that leads to more time for one-on-one -on -one interactions. It's like this big giant interconnected feedback loop of, of awesomeness when it comes to, to learning and teaching and, and really helping your students out with what they need. So um, if you can't tell, we're, we're big fans of this just because of that uh, list of advantages. Yeah, and we also need to take a look at where education is going. It seems like more and more schools are going to more of the individual student approach versus comparing the students to the classroom. And obviously, I'm speaking about grading here. I think blended learning really does a nice job at tying together finally something a little bit more powerful, and that's like looking at the student at the beginning of the year, seeing the skills that that student has, and seeing how they progress on those skills later. So like a competency-based learning. Blended learning feeds into that. And another thing that we talked about in a recent episode, 124, personalized learning fits in with blended learning as well. Because in order to make these groups that we just got done talking about, we got to know our kids. We need to know their ability level, their interests, and things like that. So what I want, anyone that did not listen to episode 124, I uh, posted the link in the show notes, go there because some of the things that we talked about in that uh, episode really apply to blended learning and they go hand in hand because blended learning, you know, personalized learning fits under that blended learning umbrella. So some of the things that we talked about in episode 124 uh, include getting to know your learners, such as your special education, gifted, SEL, ESL, multiple intelligence, UDL. Uh, all that fits in with blended learning. So make sure that you go check that out. Uh, how to design a personalized learning environment. Well, some of those same strategies work for the blended learning environment as well. We still need to help students set goals. And as teachers, we need to learn how to uh, question the kids, how to provide guidance from the side, which is helping them stay on track and provide support for them. But we also need to be good curators, all right? We have to get a whole collection of resources that are available to the students that will help guide them, that will help solve some of these problems of confusion, which are also known as uh, what are they known as? They're also known as, I'm drawing like, a blank like here. Misunderstandings? Misconceptions. Misconceptions. Yeah, misconceptions. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm having a case of the Mondays on a Tuesday. But uh, yeah, so make sure you go back, check out episode 124. But when we talk about implementing blended learning practices in the classroom, we also have to spend a second talking about uh, professional development and how you can learn. And I'm going to tell you this right now, between podcasts, YouTube channels. Uh, there are a lot of YouTube channels out there that support blended learning. And there's a lot of podcasts. Charity Dodds podcast supports blended learning. Uh, that one's called Blended in Action. Blended Learning in Action. So go check out that podcast. We also have online asynchronous PD opportunities. Uh, 
we just did one with charity a couple weeks ago that was uh, based on blended learning. Uh, you can reach out to your PLN on Twitter or on Instagram and ask people, what are they doing that is working in a blended learning classroom? And you'll get tons of answers. So all these things will help you get prepared for blended learning in your classroom. Yeah, uh, my favorite option among those would be just, you know, head over to YouTube. Next time you you have a little bit of downtime, literally just search blended learning and you'll find tons of videos. Some of them may even be our videos from Got Tech. I've even got some like strictly blended learning uh, lessons posted on like my personal YouTube account that I've used for various PDs throughout the year. So there's, there's just lots of ways that you can dip your toe in the water. Remembering the whole time that you're not really going to even have to change what you're doing all that much. You're just blending in the ed tech to this. I got to I gotta throw this out there. All right? A lot of times when we do traditional learning, one of the biggest complaints with that is that things get stale. It's repetitive. Blended learning really allows you to mix things up a little bit, even though you might have the same types of practices, the way that you implement them could be different. All right? So... I like blended learning because it gets us out of the routine of coming in, doing a question of the day, listening to a lecture, doing an exit ticket. All right, now we get to come in. Maybe we have a small talk at the beginning, a little five-minute, hey, this is kind of what you did at home or this is what we did the day before. Let's build upon this. Here's your question. Make sure you stop at these six areas within the classroom and build upon the knowledge that you have to answer that question. At the end of the class period, you might revisit that exit ticket or something similar to that. So that's like, uh, you can think about these first two segments or this first segment is like our sales pitch for blended learning. That's just us trying to let any listener know how effective this can really be, how much of a time saver it can be for you once you've got all the materials in place and you know, it really is uh, uh, not life-changing, but in terms of your professional life, yeah, life-changing. So we're going to next get into the kind of the nuts and bolts of it and some of the actual models that can be used, specific models of like how you might go about implementing a blended learning lesson. Yeah, so within we're going to go over three models. I've seen as many as 12 different models on the same location, and I think it's getting a little cute there. Most of the blended learning models fit within these three models, and then they'll do something small to change it up. Really, I, I just like to sit in these three models, and then if I do something to change it up, it still falls within one of these three models. It, we, there's really no need to call it something new. Like you said, there's there's tons of different models you'll find out there, but the three that we're featuring for you in this episode are kind of like our favorites that we think cover all of them. And, and if you do find more, you'll see that many of them are just nuanced versions of what we're about to share. And if you don't mind, I'll take the first one just because it's kind of like my, this is where I've put all my cards almost, and that is called the flipped classroom model. If you're listening to Got Tech the podcast, chances are pretty good you know what that is. In case you don't, here's a very quick description. It is, as it sounds, flipping 
your teaching around where you are no longer lecturing in class to deliver information. The students are getting information via technology before they get to you in class. Uh, that's the flipped part. So when they come to you in class, you can then jump straight into the good stuff, which is the hands-on things, the learning activities, the feedback, the small groups, all of the things that provide those benefits we've been telling you about. Now you've got the class time for it because you don't have to spend 15, 20, maybe even longer, 30 minutes delivering content. You can, that's already been done. Um, for me, this was very attractive because as a chemistry teacher, it's tough stuff. The content is difficult. It takes time. The kids need to practice. And the, and the practice is always what got shortchanged. We only had like 10, 15 minutes of it at the end of the class when I was done showing them how to do something. It just wasn't enough. But if you flip it, the students watch a video or two at home as homework. And then when they come to me, all I do is review it in five minutes and we jump straight into the group work or the individual practice or whatever it is. So it's this was the one that appealed to me the most and um, the kids love it. I always survey them and it's what they would prefer to, uh, it's the way they prefer to learn at this point. And as more teachers have adopted it in our school that, that we're seeing growth there where they are asking, can we do this uh, flipped? If you're gonna get into a flipped classroom, there's some ed tech you're gonna need. And we're not gonna, there's a ton of stuff out there. So I don't wanna spend a whole lot of time on any one of these things, but we'll, we'll rattle them off for you. Yeah, so when you're doing flipped classroom, you're talking about videos, whether you're making them or you're finding them on YouTube or wherever it may be. So what I'm gonna do real quick is I'm gonna rattle off some of the screencasting tools that we like. And there are plenty out there. Uh, I know that Nick has kind of gone to the Screencastify uh, screencasting tool just because how easy it is and how how it's integrated in with Google and things like that. I'm still a Screencast-O-Matic guy. I just feel like the the editing tools are far more superior, and I I always need to edit my videos. It's very rare that I get to do one straight through, even when I'm not being nitpicky about what I have to edit. Uh, so those are two. Uh, you could do video uh, feedback tool within this or ScreenPal is what it is. And it's also under that Screencast-O-Matic umbrella. Uh, other video uh, repertoires, you have YouTube. You can put uh, videos in your Google Drive. Uh, you have Edpuzzle. Or you could even make them in WeVideo. All right. So you can make a video in WeVideo. And one of the things I really like about Edpuzzle is that you get to ask questions, but in WeVideo, guess what? Now you get to do that as well because they just purchased PlayPosit. And PlayPosit will allow you to add questions into your videos similar to Edpuzzle. The advantage of Edpuzzle is that you can bring in a YouTube video and chop it up into the segments that you want. Uh, with uh, WeVideo, it's your own video. So if that's something that you're going to tackle on yourself making these videos, you know, you might be able to get away with WeVideo and play pose it. If you're looking to use other people's videos, Edpuzzle is the way to go. Yeah, so there's tons of great tools out there um, if you're going to do a flipped classroom and uh, that's about all we can cover now just in terms of time, but that is an entire world of stuff and um, I just can't say enough good things about the flipped classroom. 
Another very popular model, especially if you're like, uh, boy, the flip classroom sounds like it takes a lot of work on my part. It can if you are going to start by creating your own video content. There, it's a, it is a high prep method. Once it's done, uh, you're, you're sitting pretty because it's all finished and you can just use it from year to year, but it does take a lot of work. If you're trying to avoid some of that upfront work, you can do station rotation, which is Again, just what it sounds like, that's a common theme with all these models. You have different stations set up around the room, just like we do many times uh, already in our classroom. So you can start this like immediately by finding a station-based lesson you already do and just taking some of those stations and converting them to a tech-based uh, I don't know if lessons the word, but to, to complete that station, they're using technology in some way, maybe watching a video, maybe reading an article on some sort of a, uh, you know, a, a website that you found. Maybe it's doing an online discussion. Maybe it's a, a group discussion where they are recording that discussion with their computers. There's unlimited options here as far as what you do in those stations, but uh, this is a really nice, easy way to get started with blended learning. Yeah, this is probably my favorite. I started off with the flipped classroom, and I I love the flipped classroom, especially when we're getting close to breaks, long breaks, and I have to fit more content in there, and I want to make sure that they got it, uh, all the skills down. But the station rotation, there are so many different ways that you could go about doing this. Uh, as Nick said, when we bring in technology, it might just be a piece of technology that's going to facilitate the lesson, such as you know, Google Slides making an, some type of a gallery walk through Google Slides or Canva uh, if you're going to make a presentation and every student is going to work on a separate slide, you can now do that in Canva and they could do it all at the same time. But I like QR codes for this. I like put QR codes up different places around the room. It gets the students moving. When they scan the QR code, they have their task there. And then their job is to take notes or create some way of presenting to me that they've completed that task, whether it's complete a worksheet, make some type of screencast recording or make maybe it's an infographic on canva whatever it may be i like to use qr codes there uh i will say this with station rotation you need to put feedback loops in there there needs to be time to do uh, feedback in small groups or one-to-one -one. so if they get done with two stations maybe their third station is they have to come see you and you have a little discussion, try to figure out what they know, what they don't know, have them present something to you. So I always thought it was silly that we have all these big presentations where one, one student is going or two students are going and the rest of the classroom is there like nodding their head. I always thought that was silly. Uh, what are we getting out of that other than the public speaking practice? There are other ways that you can get that type of practice in there, but... Uh, you could use a screencast. You can do other ways of making these presentations. And you don't need everybody there. Maybe just two groups there. One is presenting. The other one is listening. And the teacher is listening as well. You can make those individual and small group experiences very easily. But feedback is super important. As always, I'll mention Moat. That's my favorite one. Uh, Floop is right up there too. Go Formative is also an awesome feedback tool. 
My, for what it's worth, my favorite is still Go Formative. I love having my kids just do look, quick little question and answer things using that tool. Um, and that's, uh, that's it for station rotations. Our last one we're going to talk about is another good way to get your uh, toe in the water here. It's called Playlists. This is kind of how our district pitched blended learning to us. And it never really caught on for me because I feel like when I'm doing a flipped classroom or even a station rotation, I am also doing a playlist. But the idea of a playlist is the same as if you open Spotify and started going through one of your favorites, maybe like your uh, the playlist you listen to on the way to work, right? It's that, but each element on that playlist has something to do with learning. And some of those items could be like paper and pencil, typical classroom stuff. Some of those items are gonna be tech-based where the students have to watch a video in Edpuzzle and answer some questions, or students have to be grouped up and have a discussion about X, putting together a slide in a Google slide deck, and then everybody can do a digital gallery walk where they view all of the slides that the whole class has created, right? So the playlist is gonna have a lot of the same stuff we've already talked about, just listed out. Well, kind of like I just said, literally list it out so they can go through them one at a time. Or you could ask them to just do certain numbers on that playlist based on, uh, you know, what you're seeing there. If you're going to put together a playlist, you're going to need some tech tools to fill out those items on the playlist. One of our favorite ones we go to a lot is called Flippity. Flippity is it's tough to describe what it is because it is so many things. It's just this huge variety of uses. Uh, everything from grouping, like automatically grouping your students to different games. They have like a newly added Wordle game. There's uh, electronic spinners, dice rolling, all kinds of stuff uh, that is worth checking out, whether you're doing blended learning and playlists or not. Yeah, and with Flippity, all this is done using Google Sheets. And if you're like me and Google Sheets isn't your strong suit or wasn't your strong suit, I'm getting a lot better at it. Uh, these templates are already made and it's it's foolproof. It's They're very easy to go in, change, to fit your needs. So definitely check out flippity.net. Uh, I will also throw out here that choice boards also fit under the playlist. It's just a mechanism in which you can use to have these playlists so students have a little bit of choice. Choice goes a long way with your students. Once again, it kind of gives them a funneled way of student autonomy. They get to choose how they're going to learn something or how they're going to present something. Nick, you have Prodigy down uh, as well. Do you want to speak a little bit on that? Yeah, let's close it out with Prodigy. And this is just one example of a game-based learning platform. I'm mentioning it because it's one that we haven't talked about a whole lot before. This is, you know, excluding the popular ones like Kahoot or Quizzes or GimKit or BlueKit that we mention all the time. Uh, but of course, there's tons of these things out there. Prodigy is another one specifically focused on math. I wanted to bring that up because it is new to the show, but also to mention that some of your playlist items can be and should be games. Uh, that will get one of the things we talked about earlier which is that student engagement. If they know that some elements on that playlist are just straight up going to be fun to do, uh, that's that's going to get you some of that buy-in that we were talking about before. So that wraps it up for segment three. Um, remember, this is just three possible models out of a huge spectrum, and these are our favorite ones that we think would be best for teachers getting started with blended learning. 
Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geist and I individually at GeistGotTech and at NickGotTech on Twitter or on Instagram at NickGotTech. Finally, remember to check out our website, GotTech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.